Good morning, everybody. Everybody having a good week? All right. Hey, I know we mentioned about uh, the tornadoes that have went through uh, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, Missouri, Arkansas, uh, in different areas, and I know the, the devastation. But Randy was looking up where, where most of the devastation was, and it was in Kentucky. It's uh, Mayfield, Kentucky. And there's six churches of Christ in Mayfield, Kentucky, uh, who have all been affected because I don't think there's a, a, a business or a person or a, or a family that wasn't affected in that town. It was just such major destruction. And I know the, uh, the elders are going to be play, uh, writing a check to, uh, the, to the church uh, uh, disaster relief fund uh, down in Nashville, who will be sending uh, uh, truckloads of supplies uh, that they'll need for that. So um, if it's something that's on your heart and you wish to, to give extra towards that, uh, please speak with the elders, uh, because I know they'll be sending funds down that way to help our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who are hurting uh, desperately. And it's not just uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Those, uh, those supplies help out many in the community, uh, even outside the church. And so it's a good cause, and this is the season of giving. Last time I checked, and so what better cause to give than those who are just, uh, just suffering uh, something terrible right now? Uh, if you look on the screen behind me, what does it say? Eliza's message... Is it relevant today? Do you guys remember Elijah, the great prophet Elijah? Is his message still relevant today? This morning we're going to look at a statement that James, uh, the stepbrother of Jesus, had to say in James chapter 5. You see, because he makes an interesting statement. Because when you study out the Old Testament, and if you know anything about the, the, the life of the prophet Elijah, we know that he did some extraordinary things, Amen. And he did some extraordinary things. And when we look at the statement here in a moment that James had made, it's kind of hard to kind of wrap your mind around it sometimes. And, and sometimes, as we're early on in our faith, we don't always understand maybe uh, the, the, why they say the things they do, because we're still maturing in our faith. But when you look at this message in James chapter 5, and verse 17 on the screen behind me, it says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And so it says he was a man just like us. And that's an interesting statement, because if you remember Elijah, he's one of the greatest prophets that the Bible speaks of. And he is, he is the one who stood before wicked Ahab, King Ahab. And if you're on my Wednesday night Bible studies, we've been going through the divided kingdom. I've been, we covered all of the various kings. We've been covering the prophets. And you know, Ahab was one of the most wicked men that ever walked this earth. His wife Jezebel wasn't much better. Probably one of the most wicked women to ever walk this earth. And so what do we know? We know that uh, Elijah, he looks him in the eye and says, listen, you need to repent. Paraphrasing, obviously. You need, to, you need to get the ship turned around, so to speak. We got a problem. And the problem is you and your idolatry and your immorality and all the sins that you're causing the rest of Israel uh, to, to fall into. And so, brethren, we know that when you look at Elijah, there are many commentators who call him the blood and guts prophet. Well, if you know about the story of Elijah, you can see why they would call him the blood and guts prophet. Elijah is the one who climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, and he, he threw down a challenge. It was actually the first example of smack talk that we probably have, and it's recorded in Scripture. Because you see, he goes out there and he challenges the prophets of Baal. Baal, if you don't know anything about Baal, he was a false god made up in the imaginations and the hearts of man. 
There's only one God, a living God, and that's Jehovah. And so he goes out and he makes a, he throws down a challenge. It was a challenge to bring fire down from heaven. And so he looks at the children of Israel. He said, who are you going to worship this day? If you're going to worship Baal, then worship him. But if you're going to worship Jehovah, then worship him. Let's settle it once and for all. Either Baal is God or Jehovah is God. And so you remember Elijah. When his life work was over, God sent a whirlwind and a chariot of fire that scooped him up and he took him off into heaven. He didn't even experience death. And so when I think about the statement that James makes in 5 and 17, and he says that Elijah was a man just like us. Well, I don't know about you guys, but it's kind of hard to, uh, to wrap your mind around that when you know about how wonderful Elijah was. He must have been so holy and righteous that God didn't even allow him to experience death. And that God swooped him up and took him into the heavenly realm. If he would have said that David was a man like me, I could say I could see that. Or many of the other individuals of Scripture that we know that sinned mightily. You remember Elijah? When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, who did God send to speak with Jesus? Oh, that's right, it was Elijah and Moses, two of the great prophets of God, two of the mighty men of God, and they spoke to Jesus, and, they, uh, and as Jesus spoke to them, he was transformed before the very eyes of his disciples that were with him. And so, brethren, when you look at Elijah, we know how great and, and, and powerful that, that person was. But he wasn't great and powerful based on his own righteousness. He was only great and powerful because who was working through him? God? God was with him. Would you say that Gideon did some mighty things? Yes, but we know that he cowered in fear. And yet God worked through him. And so we know that as we look at scriptures, I look at this next passage in Malachi chapter uh, 4, and I look at verse 5 and 6, and I see what it says. It says, see... I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn your hearts from the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to what? To their fathers. And when John the Baptist started preaching, the, all of a sudden the crowd started to say, Elijah is back. This must be Elijah, probably incarnate. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, they said, look, he's crying out for, uh, for Elijah. Brethren, did you know that even here today in the 21st century, that in Judaism, during the time of Passover, in every Jewish home, even today, when they put out the chairs and they put out the table and they spread out all the emblems of Passover, do you know that they leave one chair empty? Do you know why they leave one chair empty? Because they're still waiting for the return of Elijah. They don't understand that Jesus said that Elijah has already come in the person of who? John the Baptist. He wasn't, when God said Elijah was coming back, he didn't mean the literal Elijah. He meant that uh, he, somebody was going to come in the spirit of Elijah. Doing what? Preaching and teaching a message similar to what Elijah preached. He looked King Ahab in the eye and he says, you need to turn around. You need to repent. You need to get the people of Israel back on the right path. What did John do? Did John the Baptist have a similar message for the children of Israel? Didn't he come to right the path and to get the people of Israel to turn around? What does it say there? That he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so, brethren, you look at the scriptures here this morning. 
And yet there's this amazing statement. Even though we know that he was a very special person, there's this amazing statement in, in James chapter 5 and 17 that basically says he's a man just like us. He's just an ordinary man. And when you think about those words, just like us, it's really only used one other time in Scripture. And that is in Acts chapter 14. And in Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they find themselves in a city called Lystra. And while they're in Lystra, they heal a man. They heal a crippled man. And the miracle was so amazing and so powerful to the people around them that they were just shocked and amazed. And they said, the gods have come down and walked amongst us. And they started to call Paul Mercury. And they started to call uh, uh, Barnabas Zeus. And what happens? It says they began to worship. And they began to offer sacrifices to them. And then when, they, when Paul and Barnabas noticed what was going on, they said, brethren, we are not gods. We're who? We're men, just like you. And so, brethren, they stopped that immediately. And then they were punished for it. But that's not the point. When does James, what does James mean by that Elijah was a man just like us? You see, brethren, each and every one of us, in and of ourselves, are just ordinary people. But when the power of God is working in and through your life, you can do extraordinary things. Anybody here give their life to Christ in baptism? Anybody here clothe themselves with Christ in baptism? Did you receive the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit as a gift to reside within you? Does the Holy Spirit not cry out on our behalf when we know not the words to say? We know not the words to pray. Isn't that what Scripture says? Didn't the Holy Spirit come and guide the first century men into all truth? And so now we have this light that we actually can then fill our hearts and minds with? You see, because Elijah, he came to tell people that they are to conform to the world, but they are to be transformed as they renew their minds with the word of God and the teachings of God. Brethren, when we think about the saying uh, that, 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 that James makes about Elijah, to be honest with you, it's hard to wrap your mind around it if you really aren't that familiar with the scriptures. You see, if James had said that Peter was a man like us, I could, say, I could see that. You know why? Peter was an impulsive man that was always putting his, his foot in his mouth. He was the type of person who, who spoke before he thought. He was the type of person who worked on emotionalism. Anybody here ever say anything they wish they didn't say? Anybody ever here put, put your foot in your mouth? Or, or maybe make some, uh, uh, you know, some, uh, what do you call it? It's a, uh, preconceived uh, perceptions of an individual and yet you come to find out you were wrong about the individual and now you have to you have to apologize you have to you have to take back what you said you know I, I did that just not too long ago and there's a young lady in this auditorium here this morning that I need to apologize to and I'm gonna do that after this worship service because because I, I prejudged somebody I prejudged somebody and I didn't really know the individual. And I was wrong. And so I want, I, want the, I want the congregation to know that your minister falls into that same boat. And just like Peter sinned, I had sinned. And I am wrong for that. And so, brothers and sisters, I look at the scriptures here this morning. And I think about what Peter, had, how his life had played out. Peter often talked when he should have stayed quiet. And as I think about the scriptures here this morning, I think of David. If James had said David was a man just like us, I could say, you know what, I could see that as well. You know why? Because he did some knucklehead things. You remember the story of Bathsheba? You remember the story of Uriah? 
You remember the fact that uh, he sent somebody to his death who was an innocent man because he had relations with his wife and he was trying to cover it up and he was a man that sinned mightily? Brethren, I could see if somebody said, you know, David was a man just like us because aren't we all sinners in need of a Savior? Are we imperfect individuals? You see, brethren, I think about these things. David had sinned. David had had trouble with his kids. He had trouble with his wives. He had trouble in his kingdom. He had trouble in various areas of his life. But James doesn't mention them. He says Elijah was a man just like us. But James' message is that Elijah is an ordinary person, and yet God can take ordinary people and do extraordinary things if you're willing to submit to his word. If you're willing to do the things that God has asked you to do, he can work extraordinarily through you. And so let's take a closer look this morning at Elijah for a moment. God's man will not compromise his faith. As we look at the life and the faith and the ministry of Elijah, we know that he was a man that refused to compromise in the face of sin. We learn that from Elijah that someone committed to God will not com compromise their faith. Isn't that what I'm always saying when we talk about what is biblical faith? Isn't it really three components, right? Three components. What is it? Belief, trust, obedience. Belief, trust, obedience. All working in harmony together. And when you have those, things, those three things working in harmony, then, brethren, you're not going to compromise your faith. You're going to be convicted in all that you do. Why? Because you understand that you are to not conform to the world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. And so you remember King Ahab, as I said a moment ago, and I spoke of his wife Jezebel, two of the most wretched people uh, on this planet. There was a problem, you see, because King Ahab, he was saying, hey, believe in Jehovah God. But he was also married to this woman who believed in Baal as God. And so he thought in his mind, you know what, I worship one God, and that's pretty cool. But I bet you if we worship two gods, that's even better. So he told Israel, if you want to worship Jehovah, worship him. If you want to worship Baal, worship him. But hey, you may even worship both, and that's fine too. And so Elijah came to bring a message about conformity. And to how they are not to conform to the world, and to the, all these um, man-made gods, and all, these all the immorality that we find in culture and society of that time, and even today. Because we see that his message is still relevant today. Because we're still doing the same thing today in Christianity that, that, that the Jews were doing back in the times of Elijah. And so, brethren, therefore, they needed to make sure uh, Elijah came teaching a message that, that they are to, to repent and to turn away. Elijah's trying to get Israel to, to understand something, that they need to make a choice once and for all. And so, you know how the rest of the story goes, don't you? There's that challenge that we talked about. And finally, in 1 Kings 18 and 21, notice what it says on the screen behind me. How long are you going to waver, Israel? How long are you going to waver between two, two opinions? If Jehovah is God, then worship him. But if Baal's God, then worship him. Because we're going to settle this once and for all. Elijah was saying, brethren, that you can't serve both God and Baal at the same time. So make up your minds. Elijah challenged the priests to a, to a contest to see whose God, if they pray to that God, could rain down fire from heaven and to, uh, and to consume the sacrifice that was going to be made on both altars. 
And so we see Elijah being the gentleman that he was. He says, please, you have the first crack at it. And so what do we do? They build an altar. They, 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 make a, they do a sacrifice. And they start to call upon the god Baal. They start to pray to Baal. And they were shouting out all day long to the point that their voices were hoarse. They were tearing their clothing. They literally started to cut themselves. And no matter what they did, Baal was not responding. Why? Because he was made up in the hearts and minds of men. He's not real. Baal never did anything for anybody in that time or at any time because he's not real. And so all of a sudden, after a whole day goes by, you see Elijah. He says, enough of this nonsense. And so he calls the men of Israel together in this next passage of Scripture. And in the next passage of Scripture, I must not have it on here. Uh, in, in 1 Kings 18 and 13, what does it say? Then Elijah said to the people, come here. They came to him and they repaired the altar of the Lord because it wasn't even being utilized anymore. It was left in ruins. They repaired the altar of the Lord and then Elijah prays to God and dramatically fire rains down from heaven and consumes the offering that was on the altar. Brethren, Jehovah is God. He had proven it once and for all. And that is the proclamation of the life of Jehovah. Or the, the, or the life of, of Elijah. That's literally what he, his name means, that Jehovah is God. And so is there a message for the church in the 21st century? Is there a message that we could take away from the life of Elijah and his faith and his ministry? It seems to me, brethren, that I, Elijah would say to us today that I will not be contaminated by my surroundings. I will keep my life pure, and my testimony will be untarnished. You see, brethren... Elijah wasn't a perfect individual, but he was definitely a godly individual. He was definitely an individual who, uh, who did all that God had called him to do. And God has proven to his creation over and over and over throughout history that he is the only living God. And so all who choose not to believe in that Jesus is the Son of God and who all choose not to, uh, to make Jesus the Lord of their lives will have no excuse as they stand before God in judgment. That's what Romans chapter 1, verse starting in verse 18, talks about. That we as the children of God will be without excuse when Jesus comes back in flaming fire with his angels, going to take vengeance on all those who do not know him and those who are not obedient to him. Brethren, the world will tolerate Christians so long as we don't get too serious about it. Have you ever noticed that? The world has no problem with Christianity as long as you don't get too serious. As long as you don't get too preachy. As long as you don't get too high and mighty, they got no problem with you. It is perfectly acceptable for you to believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible. As long as you conform to what? To the world. Conform to its standards, its values, its attitudes. They got no problem with you in your church. They got no problem with you in your faith or Jesus Christ. As long as you conform. Many years ago, there was an article that was written in the Wall Street Journal by, uh, by a lady named uh, Reverend Terry and her New Age, uh, New Age religion. And she called it the New Christianity. And in the New Christianity, she changed it up a little bit. She said that happiness is limitless. And that people don't need to change for the better. That no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how you want to identify, no matter what's going on, you're perfect. And there's no such thing as sin. And there's no such thing as hell. And that sin is really just self-hatred if you don't recognize the perfection that you already are. And that you can just do whatever you want as long as you're happy. Brethren, 
If you look at her demented idea of what people are, if you looked out in the world today and you watched the news and everything else, would you come away with saying, man, we live in a perfect world. Everybody's just perfect. So much just love and compassion going around. Nobody needs to repent. There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as God. So I don't need your Jesus Christ. Because everybody's perfect. And there's no sin. So why would I need a Savior? That's literally what she was actually teaching. And you know what people were doing? Buying into it. Masses were following her. And yet, there was not a shred of truth to anything that she said. But you see, brethren... As we look at the scriptures here, we look at the life and ministry of Elijah. We understand that he told uh, King Ahab, and it would be a message that we would receive today. It would be likewise, that we need to not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Somehow this all sounds very much like 1 Kings chapter 18. Because in 1 Kings chapter 18, the Israelites did what? They compromised the worship of God. They compromised the word of God. And they did everything uh, that was opposite of the will of God. And yet, they thought they were still in God's good graces. They were worshiping Baal one day, worshiping Jehovah another day, and thought, God must love me for it. Isn't that happening today? Aren't there so many people today who say, hey, you have your God, I have my God. And my God's just as good as your God. And sometimes I might even come with you and worship your God. Because if worshiping one God is good, well, then worshiping many gods must be even better. You see, brethren, that's happening today. Elijah's message is still relevant today. When he looked King Ahab in the eyeballs, he would look us in the eyeball. He would go around to the various churches, I would be guaranteed, today and look those ministers and those elders in the eyes and call them out for their hypocrisy. Call them out for their idolatry. Call them out for, their, for the sin and immorality that is just so prevalent in their lives. Brethren, have you ever had somebody, as you take the word of God to them, they say, well, you know, I, don't, I hear what you're saying, but my God, anybody ever hear that? My God? And you, you know what's funny? You could be talking to people who identify as Christians. And somehow, they read this, this book called the Bible, and they come away with many gods. Because my God allows this, and my God allows this, and that. And yet, your God, well, if that's how he really feels, then he's not my God. I mean, brethren, it's a tragedy what is happening in the world today. Elijah's message for us today is that we need to separate ourselves from the world's values. Not isolate ourselves, but separate ourselves. We must never be contaminated by the world's immoral standards. And brethren, we got a lot of immoral standards in this country and around the world right now. God's man must, be conf must not conform, but be transformed. There's a passage of scripture on the screen behind me right now. And I almost feel like we've read this passage of scripture so many times, but I, all, I just wonder, do we actually believe it? I wonder if we believe it, because there's two words that I want us to focus on in this passage. One is conform, and the other is transform. What does it say? Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, 
Amen? But be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. What do you renew it with? The Holy Scriptures? The Word of God? The seed that we are to take out into the world? To teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ and why it's good news? Because there were sinners in need of a Savior? But there's hope because Jesus had come and he had given his life. He suffered, died, and was buried, raised on the third day in newness of life. For what? So we have an opportunity to spend heaven with Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect. Those two words, conform and transform. The people we read about in the Bible and the people who are alive today essentially fall into two categories. Those who conform to the world and those who have transformed their world. How do you transform your world? By giving in to the word of God and allowing it to change your mindsets. Allowing it to transform your mindsets. Ananias and Sapphira, as I think about, I'm going to give you four examples. Ananias and Sapphira are the first couple that did what? They conformed to the world. They claimed to be Christians because they were baptized. They joined the life of the church. They were even respected for a while in the church. But their desire was to be praised by men, and they did some bad things. They lied to God, and they paid for it with their lives. It makes me think of Judas. Judas conformed to the world. He had the privilege of listening to the teachings of Jesus Christ that literally came from his own lips and got to spend three, three and a half years with the Master, with the Son of God, and yet he sold out to the world. He conformed to the world and he sold out. But then there's other men and women that we read about, like Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was a man who did not conform to the world. He was sold into slavery. He found himself being tempted uh, with idolatry by Potiphar's wife. But he did not conform to the world. Instead, he transformed the world and, and the lives of all that were around him. I think of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel was a man who refused to conform. He would not conform to the pleasures of the palace. He would not bow down to the golden idols. And he kept himself believing. He kept himself praying. And he transformed his life and the lives of many of the individuals around him. Brethren, the same is true of Peter. The same is true of James and John and all the other saints who were faithful unto God. Worldly pressures were there, but they refused to conform. Were they perfect? No. They were sinful individuals who were still in need of a Savior, but they, they, no matter their imperfections, they realized their imperfections, they repented of the sin, they turned away from it, and each and every day they tried to be better today than they were yesterday. And their faith was consistent. And they, tr they turned the world upside down or right side up, depending on how you look at it. Brethren, Jesus said you cannot serve both God and mammon. Amen? Do you know what that means? You cannot serve both God and Satan. For either you'll end up loving one and hating the other. So you have to make a choice. Are you going to live for Jehovah God? Or are you going to live for the God of the world? The, the gods of the world? You see, we've turned more modern day idols into gods. And that we not only have turned these idols into gods, but we, they're beckoning for our call. They're beckoning for our attention. They're beckoning for our worship. And many times the God of the Bible starts to go down the list of our priorities because we've turned so many things into modern day idols. We don't always put them on a shelf anymore. It could be, well, whatever it is that you dedicate your life to. 
It could be whatever it is that, that takes your attention away from God and you place it somewhere else. You see, brethren, society says that it's all right. You could still go to church. You could still be a respectable Christian. Just go ahead and, and have these other gods too. Serve these other idols as well. That's fine. Everything will work out in the end. But Elijah's message for the church today would be do not conform, but be transformed. And allow your transformed life to transform the people around you. Brethren, and, here, and this is how. As I get ready to close this lesson down, first and foremost, offer your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice unto the Lord. What does that mean? To give yourself over to God voluntarily. And to live for God means that you do all according to his standard, not the world's standard. There's a way that seems right unto man, the Bible says, and in what? In the end, it leads to death. Secondly, you need to renew your mind. Let God's word teach you. Let God's word shape your thinking, shape your life, shape your attitude. So that way you can be found pleasing in his sight. And thirdly, then you'll be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, like we learn about in Romans chapter 12. Brothers and sisters, we must never compromise the word of God or the moral standards of God. If you find yourself compromising God's word and his standards in order to fit into the world around you, in order to fit in with a group of friends, in order to be more liked or more loved by those around you, then you need to realize this character flaw because that is not how a child of God conducts himself. You need to turn from the sin in your lives because God has told us that the times of ignorance are now over. And he is declaring all people everywhere have to repent. And brethren, when you think about this, we must refrain. Uh, and we must make sure that refrain from the things of the world and be faithful unto God. And just like Elijah, we must be strong in God's moral standard, and we must be willing to call sin, sin. We must be willing to stand up in the face of society and not bow down to all that they want to do in this new woke environment in which we live. We must call sin, sin. We must stand on the word of God because that is what God expects us to do. That is what Elijah had done, and that is what all the prophets of God had done. And which of the prophets did they not kill? And yet, they spoke the truth anyways. Amen. Brethren, it is up to us to take the good news message out to the world, to let them know there's hope. And if you're here today and you're not a child of God, you have hope because you're still alive. You still have breath in your, uh, in your lungs. You could choose to make Jesus the Lord of your life today. You could confess him before this congregation. You could go down into the watery grave of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. And what will you receive? You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Brethren, if you've been away from the church for a while and you're now wanting to be restored, you could do that as well. You could come forward. You could speak with the elders and let them know that you wish to be restored. Brethren, because there are many people who have been away from the Lord and his church for too long. And if that is you today, you can fix that problem. Come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.